Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hey, everybody, it's Andy Richter. Uh, you're listening to The Three Questions. I am the host of The Three Questions, and we're digging into the archives this month, and we are looking back on some of my favorite episodes, which is why you are going to listen to me talking to Steve-O, because this was one of my favorite episodes, one of the best conversations I've had, and I have thought back on this conversation many, many times. So give it a listen. I spoke with Steve-O back in March 2022, soon after the release of Jackass Forever. Here it is, me, Steve-O, enjoy. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Andy Richter, and I'm very excited today because I have uh, one of my favorite entertainers on the show. Um, a big thrill to have a member of the Jackass Squad. I'm talking to Steve-O, and also one of the yeah. fucking most hardcore members. Well, thank you, man. And yeah, dude, it's great to be here. Is there is there competition among you guys of like, hardcoreness like who is the most and like is there a ranking within you guys that you you know that you guys try and one-up um, each other i mean historically i've definitely gotten more credit than i deserve in that department yeah you know like sort of i i was uh kind of branded as the guy who wouldn't turn down anything. I would, nothing was too gnarly for me. And I was the most unhinged and, and craziest of them all. But um, again, I don't deserve that title. Um, absolutely. The craziest of us all, the most hardcore is Knoxville. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was never any getting me in front of a bull. Right. That, that's for sure. You know, but with that said, I always felt very unaccountable for my actions around sharks. So I think that. <laughs> what is that? You're just you're just so you're like you're you got a crush on sharks and you can't help yourself. It, it, it's it, it. I've described it as like superheroes, you know, like different superheroes have different superpowers. Yeah. My superpower is sharks. Yeah. And, and Knoxville's superpower is bulls. Um, but, you know, it's it's a loose um, it's a loose analogy to superheroes. And I really think Knoxville is just by far the craziest, particularly yeah. because the rest of us, most of the rest of us grew up skateboarding. So, you know, we have this uh, kind of ability to fall down. We're used to it. You know, like we yeah. uh, 
you know, we, we throw our bodies around. We're, we're pretty used to, to it. We've got a, a sense for where we are in the air and how to land. And Knoxville has never had any of that. <laughs> so, so when Knoxville's in the air, not only does he not know how to land, but it's just always devastating. <laughs> and, and I mean, so he's like, bad at it, is what you're saying. Yeah, he's yeah. he's bad at it. He's his commitment to the art is is unparalleled. Did, now, is there a variation between you guys of like, uh, like what you rank? You know, sort of like within the internal status of the group you know, the actual sort of physical harm, like a shark or a bull, and then being covered in human shit, like, you know, like the, because uh, to me, that porta potty thing, like that's, like I'll right. let a bull, I'll let a bull hit me, but I don't want to get covered in shit. I don't know why that is. Wow. You know? you I don't know, know I, why. I, I think uh, we're, we're onto something there because that's where, <laughs> that's where I truly excel. Yeah. Is, uh, and, and I think that, like to demonstrate a willingness to be covered in feces really, really conveys the kind of message of like, wow, this guy's crazy. He's gnarly, you know, unhinged, the wildest, most hardcore of the bunch. However, uh, I think that's perhaps the secret to my success because um, I, I've been really pretty careful about picking my battles over the years. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I'll go, I'll go for, uh, I'll roll my dice with hepatitis all day long before <laughs> I put my spinal cord in jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, you know, there's a lot, there's a logic to that. Yeah. And, and, and furthermore, I think that uh, it's rather clever on my part because I view my immune system as a muscle which needs exercise. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that goes way back to when I was in eighth grade. I went to a very privileged um, school, uh, you know, the American school in London. I was yeah. there, you know, I was there and gone and back, you know, from fourth grade all the way through high school. And during eighth grade at this very privileged American school in London, I went on a field trip to Egypt, you know, cause, cause <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. It was like an alternatives week. And, and, um, you know, it kind of makes sense because when I did graduate from high school, my, my senior graduating class, 12th grade, 80% of my class went on to Ivy league universities. Wow. And I, and I was a loser for going to the University of Miami, where within two weeks of class starting, I was placed on final disciplinary probation. <laughs> <laughs> what an but, overachiever. Right. But back in eighth grade, on this field trip to Egypt, I remember being told that, um, that it was very dangerous to drink the tap water there, that it was, uh, you know, it would make us very sick, that, yeah. that uh, we should be careful in the shower, that, that if, if, uh, if we were to order a, uh, a soda at, at, you know, at, with a meal, do not put ice cubes in it because the yeah. ice cube, you know, like, and they were, um, you know, really, they, they seemed really serious about that. But while we were having a, a meal at, 
outside a restaurant. It was like a patio situation, really parked right on the Nile River. Mm-hmm. I watched, I watched this, this Egyptian dude literally kneel by the Nile River and dunk a toothbrush in it and just sit there brushing his teeth. And I thought to myself, what, you know, if the tap water here is so bad, then what the hell is the Nile? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, God. And, and, uh, you know, I, I thought if that guy who's okay, evidently okay, brushing his teeth in the Nile, if he went to England where I live, or if he went to America and drank tap water there, he'd probably get sick because it's a quite the question is it's a matter of what you're used to, what your mm-hmm. immune system you know, and, and I determined in that moment that the healthiest thing for me to do, the smartest thing for me to do would be to deliberately drink tap water everywhere I go around the world. And I was afforded that opportunity when we filmed uh, the, our show Wild Boys, which was a little bit of a, a homoerotic nature show. Right. You and Chris Pontius. Yeah. Yeah. It's been up. And, and that show brought us to so many countries it was absurd every continent except antarctica where i wouldn't be surprised if the water was purer than anywhere else and <laughs> and, and and as soon as i checked into every hotel room as soon as i put I, I, I you know long flights and i would go and brush my teeth and i would think that and i would guzzle tap water just guzzle it and yeah. i drank ta- i drank tap water in indonesia rwanda like everywhere everywhere and uh and 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 as such i do believe that i am healthier i my immune system is stronger and i can handle being covered in feces which i've done regularly (laughs) (laughs) well wait so and you never have had any i mean have have any of these been disasters like was that first one in egypt an explosive ending to no i don't i don't remember i think that was something that kicked in a little later but uh and i did get a little bit sick in kenya i definitely got a little bit sick in kenya but i think that was from uh drinking the box wine that had been like uh, (laughs) (laughs) kenyan box wine delicious yeah which which i drank with legit uh what were they called Uh, not samurai uh Ah, uh, there's a famous tribe. Uh, oh, Zulus? Not Zulus. Sam- uh, not samurai, but it sounds like samurai. Ah, whatever. I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know that's, you know, mm-hmm. that like a doctor will Maasai. tell you that. Not a Maasai. Maasai warrior. Maasai. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, a doctor will tell you that that's just wrong because it's the, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the particular you know, bacteria and, and organisms that are living in the water that the people, the natives get used to. So I don't even know if it, you're capable of getting an all over the globe kind of, you know, well, well, you've done it. I mean, I, I, I told you, yeah, I've done yeah. it. Like, um, and by I'm, now, not here, I'm not here to lie to you, Andy. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Uh, but I mean, so it's like now today, if you were to go, like if you were just to go to say Oaxaca and, and start guzzling tap water. Oh my God. Fine. I was in, I was in a, a, a little sort of a shanty town in uh, Peru called Juarez uh-huh. where 
where I found my dog, Wendy, in the street. I've seen the videos of that. Yeah, yeah. And she's on the bus right now. Um, and, and while I was in Juarez, Peru, I drank toilet water, brother. <laughs> I literally, I, I literally took a mug and scooped toilet water and pounded it. <laughs> All right, just to show the dog that you were serious about about I don't know own, owning it or, or being its master. Yeah, and you know the, the the video that I made of finding Wendy in the streets of Peru garnered. Yeah. It garnered more viewership than any video I have ever put on the internet. I can imagine. Yeah. Dogs are, they're a big but, seller. Yeah. But, but can you imagine how that made me feel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can imagine, but you know, right. But, but what I left out of that, that uh, <laughs> incredibly viewed video and probably cleverly I left out of it. One of the first things I witnessed Wendy doing you know, in the streets of Peru, was eating feces out of a diaper on the, mm. on the sidewalk. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. She's coming with me. Yeah, get that dog. Get that shit-eating dog. Put it on the plane with me. All right. Now you mentioned your your early upbringing, and I'm just going to read some of these some of some just to get it over with. Uh, family moved to Brazil when he was six months old because his father was the president of Pepsi Cola in South America. Uh, at first, that point, it was just Pepsi Cola in all of Brazil. In all of Brazil, okay. Um, and you were born in London. Then they moved to Brazil. Your first words are in Portuguese. Then yep. they moved to Venezuela, and you became fluent in Spanish. Moved back yep. to the U.S. when you were four. Darren, not, Connecticut. Not, not back to the U.S. I moved to the U.S. for the very first time when I was four. Wow. In Darien, or is it Darien, as they say? Uh, as I understand, Darien will do yes. the trick. Darien, Connecticut, which is a fancy place. And Miami before moving back to England when he was nine. Yeah, uh, here's, here's, here's the fun part. Okay. Um, my... Uh, yeah, my dad was the president of Brazil. Then two years old, we moved to Venezuela. That dad got a promotion, and that's when he was president of Pepsi in, in a considerably larger region. Mm -hmm. Then still working for Pepsi when we moved to America when I was four years old. But it was when I was six years old, we moved to Miami, that dad became a big tobacco executive. He worked oh, for... Wow. Yeah, he worked for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, famously the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Yeah. And this was during the 1980s when it came to light that cigarettes weren't actually good for you. You know, like they, they actually made the link to, to cancer, I think, shortly before that. Right. And Which they had the made, but they just kept coming. And everybody, right. everybody, you all you have to do is know smokers and know that's not good for you. Like there's <laughs> right. no way, like all that shit when they used to have people like smoking menthol cigarettes and saying, doctors <laughs> recommend it for your, you know, yeah. for your respiratory health. You had, no, there's no way nobody could like figure out like, I don't think so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah. but, but, uh, but in the, um, in the the 1980s there that was when it, it became like litigious about it kind of a thing and and the yeah. the, the, t the tobacco companies got 
shit scared about lawsuits and, and everything and, and just the, the future of, of their their products. Right. So so the tobacco companies got proactive about buying up food companies. Yeah. And that that's what inspired what at the time was the the largest corporate merger slash takeover in the history of the world. It was called uh, the, the KKR merger. This was when R.J. Reynolds uh, bought, merged with Nabisco and yeah. became, they became a super company called RJR Nabisco. And that merger represented an aberrationally good year for my dad. <laughs> right? And that was that 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 was when that was when the the houses that the my family lived in grew. Yes. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that and that was when my mom started drinking a lot more <laughs> and, and dad was traveling a lot more. Yeah. So I had I had a little bit of a pippy long stocking effect. You know, I, <laughs> I I didn't have a whole lot of parental supervision. Right, right. And, and and the house just got bigger and bigger. But what I think is particularly funny about that is that my dad, being such a, a wildly successful corporate executive, started out with soda, moved on to cigarettes. <laughs> yes. And then ended up at cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I was I was going to say I was going to say soda wasn't deadly enough for him. He had to move on to cigarettes. You know. Yeah, yeah, but, but we ended up at cookies, and right at the time when uh, Nabisco figured out cookies and cream, Oreo ice cream. <laughs> I mean, win win. <laughs> right on the cutting edge of all, of all the best and, stuff. And my, my dad thought it was hilarious that that they had such a financial fucking hit with just sweeping the Oreo factory of all yeah. <laughs> of all its debris and just dumping it into something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, hilarious. That's more disgusting than the story of American cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, now. I mean, you you know, you you used the word privilege. You know, you you had like a pretty special upbringing. You know, and first of all, yeah. why no accent? We got to six years old, moved to Miami. Yeah, you know, I like I I had learned three different languages by the age of three, and completely forgot two of them by the age of five. Yeah, I happens. only remember I only remember speaking American like my parents. Yeah. And, and it was at the age of nine that we moved back to England. Of course, it was my first experience there, um, you know, that I could remember. And when we moved back to England, I attended again, the American school in London. So my folks at home spoke American accent, my teachers and, and largely the kids at school. It was sort of an American bubble I that see. I lived in, in England. And it didn't help that, uh, didn't, it, it thwarted my English accent, my, my skateboarding habit. <laughs> you know, everything, everything was, yeah, dude. You know, so, so I kind of stayed American in England. Right. Now, um, was, uh, was skateboarding like did that start early? When, when did you start skating? Um, I, I first started skateboarding 
within 20 minutes of walking out of the movie theater seeing back to the future part one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Where Michael Jackson was like, or sorry, Michael Jackson, Michael J. Fox was holding onto the cars and, yeah, and skating yeah. through the streets. And they had like, I, I just thought that was cool, man. And that was 1985. And uh, I started skateboarding that day in, in London or in Miami. Yeah, and, in London. Wow. Yeah. And in was London. there was there any kind of scene of kids, you know, like were kids skateboarding much in London at that point? Um the, the Back to the Future brought about a absolute fad of skateboarding. Like you safe to say that under the majority of Christmas trees and yeah. Christmas of 1985 <laughs> lived a skateboard. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was really pretty incredible. I don't know that the yo-yo ever had such a run as skateboards did on the back of Back to the Future. But it was really pretty quickly that um, all of these kids who were gifted skateboards learned that not only was skateboarding incredibly difficult, but that it, it, it came with uh, quite a bit of like falling down and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, meeting meeting the concrete and getting getting uh, scuffed up and, and, and bruised and dinged. And it, it hurt. It, it hurt a lot. And it was very difficult. And it it, it really uh, I'd say that the overwhelming majority of those kids, you know, like just sort of tried it and thought, oh, this isn't for me. And it was a mm-hmm. very, very select few who uh, who were willing to persevere you know, sort of tolerate the injuries, put in the work that it took. And skateboarding just absolutely it, it isolated a type of person, uh, like yeah. a type of person who is who is just like very, very uh, dedicated, you know. And um, what, another thing that skateboarding did in the 1980s was it led kids to the video camera. Now, in the 1980s, the video camera was not yet a bona fide household item. It, I mean, it certainly wasn't in everybody's pockets. And and there were no other activities which lent themselves to the use of a video camera. You sure. know, but but every skateboarder wants to become sponsored. Every skateboarder is gonna document their tricks with a video camera. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you want to excel in tennis, then you, you gotta you gotta win your matches, but nobody's yeah. videotaping everything. Yeah. So yeah. skateboarders got a very, very significant head start in video production. Yeah. And actually it was uh, Spike Jones in the 1980s was a photographer for a, a skateboard company called World Industries. And the guy uh, who owned World Industries just decided, you know what? Like, I'm going to make a, I want our, our company to make our own skateboard video because he was frustrated that up to that point, that skateboard videos were very, very sugar-coated because the industry was, dependent upon the approval of mothers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if the skateboarding videos showed really brutal, you know, injuries and slams and, and the, like the attitude and the irreverence that would turn off mom and it would, it would turn off the, the flow of money into the industry. Yeah. But this guy, this guy who owned world industries, he said, man, I'm so sick of kissing mom's ass and I'm going to make a video. That's just gnarly that shows skateboarding for what it is. And Spike Jones being the photographer for World Industries, got the job of producing that first World Industries skateboarding video by default because there was nobody else really like 
uh, on hand to do it. Right. So Spike, or, who, Spike, or who would be as cheap, probably, either. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So Spike Jones's very first video project ever was in the 1980s, and it was a video called Rubbish Heap, which featured professional skateboarders like forcing a child to eat an earthworm and then the child barfs and then the dog comes over and eats the barf and the skateboarders are just howling laughing <laughs> and, and that and, and that that was the vibe yeah that was yeah, the vibe. yeah and and, and, well, and you can it, see you can see the it, birth of jackass in there uh, i mean dude this is where it gets really good this guy who owned world industries was like the most narcissistic like napoleon like just guy. I mean, dude, he was epic. And this was his attitude. He's like, I'm not kissing anybody's ass. I'm going to be gnarly. The biggest magazines in skateboarding were Thrasher and Transworld. Mm -hmm. And part for the course, Steve Rocco, the guy who owned World Industries, he made an, a, a, a full page ad for World, World Industries, which he submitted to Thrasher Magazine and Transworld Magazine. The ad featured a young boy with a gun in his mouth. And it said, world industries, kill yourself. And that was it. And, oh my and God. yeah, that was Steve Rocco got a kick out of that. But what happened was both Thrasher magazine and Transworld magazine sent back that ad, both saying that there was no way that they would run that in their magazine. Yeah. One, one, one of the magazines even said, this particularly upset me, They're the editor of the magazine, this particularly upset me because one of my best friends in high school actually killed himself. Yeah. And St Steve Rocco's response to that guy was, oh, okay, man, um, maybe you can put together a, a little list of every little thing that's hurt your feelings over the years so that I can run my business based on your little sensitivities. He <laughs> says, you know, <laughs> he says, he, he says, you know what? I'm going to never run another ad in Thrasher or Transworld, and I'm going to go ahead and start my own skateboarding magazine this was steve rocco at work so that yeah. was the, that was how that was the reason why big brother magazine was born wow. to serve to serve as a forum for content that would never be allowed to grace the pages of thrasher or Transworld. and big brother magazine was chock full of nudity they had articles like like objective like journalistic integrity, they had an article that 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 listed the ten most effective ways to commit suicide. Oh my god! <laughs> they they had a they had a legit article on how to buy crack in a, in a neighborhood. They had articles on how to make fake IDs. They had for one of the covers, they had um, a pro skateboarder dressed up as Satan doing a, a skateboard trick through the air over a legit stack of burning Bibles. Oh my God. <laughs> while, while, while holding a pitchfork. They, yeah. they, did, they did it all. Big Brother was my favorite thing that I had ever, ever like experienced. I loved and, it so much. And how old are you when this is happening? This, this is uh, my early twenties. Yeah. When, yeah. When, when, when this kicks off and Big Brother, that their magazines came out at, at first, they were a little bit sparse because Steve Rocco wasn't so organized, but they, they ended up becoming 
a monthly publication. It was it was a, a, a crazy first rights issue. So actually, Larry Flint of Hustler magazine bought Big Brother from Steve Rocco, at which point um, the the guy in charge of, of Big Brother magazine was Jeff Tremaine. Mm-hmm. And Jeff and, and and Jeff Tremaine was really just enjoying it. He was enjoying it because it was bigger than skateboarding. The craziness, the antics was was bigger than skateboarding. And as well as having the, the, the print issues coming out every month, you know, every six months or a year came out an actual video, which really filled in the gaps and like and, and let you behind the scenes of all the crazy stuff that's going on. And by the time the the Big Brother skateboarding videos really developed this cult following and, and became like bigger than skateboarding, um, by that point, Spike Jones had become an Oscar nominated Hollywood movie director, I believe, for being John Malkovich. Yeah, he got he got an, he got uh, an Oscar nod. And um, Jeff Tremaine of Big Brother magazine reached out to Spike Jones. And I believe like 1995 or 1996, maybe 96 or 97. And he said, hey, Spike, um, our big brother videos are, are, are really like getting attention. People really love them, but they, they love the crazy shit. I don't think anybody really cares about the skateboarding. And I think that if we subtract the skateboarding from the, our big brother videos, then what's left over, like we can make it into a TV show. Yeah. And so, so they, they, they made like the sort of like 10 minute long VHS, you know, like South Park type thing sure. to, to, to bring it in. They, they went into a, a couple of pitch meetings. They described going into HBO as an absolute disaster where it was like a female executive they were pitching it to who, who just wasn't feeling the, the sensibility of it. And they thought yeah. maybe this isn't, they thought maybe this isn't a good idea, but when they brought their, uh, their pitch to MTV, MTV was clamoring for it. Yeah. And, um, and, and what was left over when you subtracted the skateboarding videos from, or when you subtracted the skateboarding from the big brother videos, you had Johnny Knoxville, Wee Man, Chris Pontius, Steve-O, you know, yeah. like I, I had found, Big, Big Brother, I, I was living in Albuquerque in 1996 and Big Brother came through Albuquerque on one of their tours and I just tracked them down. I said, dude, I found them at a skate park and I went up to uh, Dimitri Eliaskovich, who's now like the director of photography of our big movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I told Dimitri, I, I basically said, I'm going to be in Big Brother. I said, I love Big Brother. And I'm just telling you, I'm going to be, I'm going to force you to put me in Big Brother uh-huh. because, because what I'm going to do tonight is going to be so spectacularly insane. You're going to have no choice but to print me. And I don't care if you'd like me. I just need, I'm, I'm going to, you know. And that night at a backyard keg party, I, uh, taught this um professional skateboarder how to breathe fire with rubbing alcohol mm-hmm. which is a te- which is a terrible thing to use for breathing fire but <laughs> i didn't know that and i, and I told him i said <laughs> I, I told this pro skater i said okay i've got this can of hairspray i'm gonna spray it all over my head and so i'm gonna spray it all over my head i'm gonna light my my head on fire with the lighter. I'm just going to set all my hair on fire. So that's your torch. Okay. You're going to spit the, the fire, like using my head as a torch, but I'm going to have my own mouth full of rubbing alcohol and I'm going to douse my arm. So 
when you blow the fireball off my head, I'm going to stick my arm into the fireball, which will leave my hand on fire. And then my hand will be my torch. And I'm going to do a back flip simultaneously blowing fire out of my mouth with my head on fire while I do a backflip. And uh, it was all a pretty killer plan, but because I wanted to put my hand... <laughs> no, no, yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah, killer plan, yeah. <laughs> because I wanted to put my hand into the fireball, I pictured that it would make more sense to have him blow it from the side. And that was the critical flaw because from the side, this whole side of my face was exposed and he blew the fireball point blank into my face, yes. making my whole head on fire from the shoulders up. But this was my chance to be in Big Brother Skateboarding Magazine. So as I realized that my whole fucking face was on fire, my thinking was, I better hurry up and do this fire breathing backflip quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, so there's this unbelievable shot filmed from behind me where I do the backflip. I successfully blow the fireball and, and, and you see my face, my whole fucking head just in the middle of a big fire. It's all just fire and it comes rotating. But I came up a little bit short on the backflip. So I landed on my knees. And so it like, it would like land on my knees and I came down. So like, it was a struggle to get back up to start putting out the fire. Right. Right. <laughs> and like, and it wouldn't go out like right away. And I'm flailing through this whole backyard keg party, batting at it. And, you know, like by the time I got the fire out, my, all the skin on my face was like rolled up in my hand, like a joint. And, and and I had to go to the hospital. They did. They, someone came over and they said, are you OK? And I look at the camera. I go, no, dude, not even. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went to the hospital and uh, they scraped all the skin down. To, uh, they they'd called what debride it to debride where they they they. Yeah. The burnt skin. The burnt skin is now going to rot and can like cause infection. So they yeah, have to yeah. scrape scrape it down to the bottom layer. And uh, with my second degree burns on half my face, they said that I wouldn't be able to go out in the sun for six months. That that did this and that, and like certainly for the next two weeks, like most of the next two weeks, I recall in the morning having to peel my pillow off my face because uh. there was stuff. There was stuff oozing out of it. Yeah. And yeah. that was that was the condition that I was in, still with these burns oozing. And when I got the call to let me know that I had been accepted into Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown <laughs> College. And I didn't know. I had no <laughs> I <laughs> I had no idea if putting on clown grease paint was gonna be in the cards. But <laughs> Fortunately, I heal like fucking Wolverine, probably because my immune system's so strong. Right, exactly, from all the <laughs> shit drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. 
Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Now, what do you th- what do you think it is? Like, do you think there's anything kind of wrong with your girl? Well, I mean, yes, obviously there's something. I mean, because well, first of all, and I mean, you guys are already you guys are talking about the you, you the jackass crew is already talking about like this is a young person's game, and the fact oh, that yeah. you guys are still doing it is incredible, and it's not just. <laughs> It's not just because your body heals. It's not just because of the physical. Because, like, you know, I've done right. Pratt Falls. I like, you know, part of the comedy yeah. that I would do. And I mean, and we would practice Pratt Falls at parties. Like, I learned to fall downstairs for a laugh at parties and stuff. And you just, you know, and it was like a combination of knowing a little bit about, about, uh, uh, about professional wrestling and how professional wrestlers sure. protect themselves. So I had all these Pratt Falls things. And then, like, you know, like when I was kind of out here, probably in my early 30s, I did something for a video where I I was supposed to kind of face plant, but I was using my folded arms to protect myself, kind of my elbows to catch the, the, the fall. And I fucked up my elbow for six months. And I was like, right. if I had done this three years ago, it would have taken a week maybe of sore elbow. And that was when I really realized, okay, I can't do this anymore. But it's not just the physical part. It's that, you, you, right. you, as you get older, you don't want to die. You know what well, I mean? Right. I mean, I, I view it as I, I'm, I'm very much with you. And um, I, I view it as even another level of that, where when you reach a certain age, that the question becomes is it creepy to watch? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, is it funny for like older guys? to be like harming themselves, you yes. know? And uh, I, when, when Knoxville, when Knoxville um, disturbed the idea that he wanted to do a fourth Jackass movie, I, I thought, dude, you know, I, I've been pushing my luck and I believe that I have that in me because I've stayed active, you know, and it's still working for me. Mm-hmm. But but as a collective ensemble, I think it's a lot trickier, you know, yeah. like for us to get away with that collectively as a group in our late forties and some of us in our fifties, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and Knoxville, um, like strongly disagreed with me. Knoxville's position was the, the, the older we get, the funnier it is. And, and I, 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 completely don't see it that way and as yeah. a matter of fact they're speaking of, of Pratt balls and such there was a movie about laurel and hardy that mm-hmm. came out a few years back it was called stan and ollie it's really good yeah it's it's it not only is it really good it is it it, it straight fucked me up 
you know, to see those guys in whatever it was, their 60s and 70s, like financially destitute and yeah. like and 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 like just being like they, they were in a position they had no choice but to keep doing this old stick and they were just visibly like old and it just was very tragic and and upsetting and being the attention whore that i am and and having this career that i've had like the idea of being in that situation which that movie so masterfully portrayed like yeah. it just it it put me in a funk and a depression for like a solid week as did the movie about buster keaton mm -hmm. as did the movie about judy garland yeah you know like like there's just that story and so personally i am so terrified of that i'm so deeply profoundly affected and and upset by that that i, I i'm like really really with you and and not even in the sense about whether like my personal uh healing time is is any uh is extended due to my advanced age it's, yeah, it's yeah. not even it's not even about that what it, what it's about is fuck is is it is it is it depressing is it tragic yeah, you, you know you're becoming a circus geek you're becoming a right you're like and, a, and a, a down on his luck guy that's biting the head off of chickens Right. So, yeah. so, so the way that I've approached it now, I mean, I'm 47, like in mm -hmm. a couple of months, in a, in a couple of months, I'll be 48. And, uh, and I'm very sensitive to all of this. So what I've been doing for the last, well, since Jackass 3D came out in 2010, I got into stand-up comedy mm -hmm. and, and I, and I really, really dove into it in earnest. And I spent, uh, 11 straight years, of course, 2020 was a little bit less yeah, activity, sure, sure. but, uh, but, but relentlessly grinding on the comedy club circuit to develop this craft of stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. not even this not even necessarily because, uh, I see more longevity in stand-up comedy than the fall down game, but, uh, but because I'm an attention whore. And, mm. and, uh, and, and it was a way to, to just be active and be on stage and, and get attention. You know, you see, I have a problem shutting the fuck up. But, <laughs> Listen, you're making but, my job real easy. I love it. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. But over the, <laughs> over the course of those 11 years, um, a, a couple of things happened. Um, my comedy became, it, it evolved into a multimedia affair. Yeah. Where my my first stand up special was uh, it was me on me in a microphone and just what happened on stage. I did yeah. intermittent intermittently. I did a couple stunts on stage, like to pepper it in, but it was just what happened on stage. As I put together the second show I toured with, which became my second comedy special, like it, it struck me pretty early on as I put the show together that you know the majority of the stories I was telling. I was just going for the craziest stories that, that lent themselves best to stand-up comedy. And it occurred to me that they, for the most part, had transpired on video. So I thought, man, my head exploded. I thought, yeah. oh, my God, let, let, what if I make a comedy special where as I tell the stories in my stand-up, I, I edit the footage of the stories actually unfolding interstitially in post-production yeah it would be like the first multimedia comedy special and i was yeah. just like 
Dude, I, I my head exploded and I immediately got to recording my my performances and yeah. bringing bringing the footage into the computer and editing it all in and I saw that it worked. And what what, what struck me because up to that point, you know that like for a stand-up comedian to watch footage of their performance can be a little bit tough and, and yes. I, I was I was very resistant of that. But this exercise in editing the footage into the into the performance yeah forced it forced me to sit down and watch it and study it and that brought about a progression in my performance of stand-up comedy that was so accelerated you know compared to before yeah. that, that it, re, it benefited me so much and the stories i was telling were old stories i was regaling the past and the multimedia really worked but that multimedia came in in post the footage wasn't coming on tour with me mm. so after after doing my second comedy special i just i felt strongly about two things i no longer wanted to live in the past because I felt like I was turning into a fucking asshole who won't shut up about what he could bench press in high school. <laughs> and, and I wanted to have the benefit of bringing the multimedia component on the road with me. Sure. And I was shit scared about reaching a point where I'm running out of time to do the crazy shit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, so I decided, all right, you know, like, like if I want to film new stuff to create new stories, then like shit, you know, like we've pretty much done everything except I knew exactly what hadn't been done because there were these ideas I'd been just kind of sitting on forever yeah. that, that were less, less actual, like, you know, practical ideas than they were just crazy things to say. And, uh -huh. and I ended up, I, I called it my, my bucket list, right? <laughs> and what, what, so what, what particularly fucking tickles me is that everything I filmed for this, but I like in my live bucket list show, there are, there are 10 different video breaks where after each bit, each bit represents an item on the list. And after each bit, I screen the footage of the culmination of the bit mm -hmm. and the, the backdrop of the whole show, the running narrative is my relationship with my fiance and the unavoidable implications of me carrying out these absurd plans on our relationship. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. there's, con there, there's conflict. There's like mind bogglingly unlikely loving support, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, like how it all, how it all lands against the backdrop of my relationship really is compelling. And it, it provides like a, a cohesive narrative that really brings it all together. And it, and it plays like a love story, which is, which is pretty beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> the, the, and, and the, the, the things I did for this fucking show are so goddamn ridiculous. And many of them flagrantly fucking illegal. Yeah. I got, I, I got a medical professional to assume a disguise and then administer stolen general anesthesia drugs into an IV that they put in my arm to knock me out. That, that, like, I'm like, I want you to fucking knock me out while I'm hauling ass on a bicycle. <laughs> and, and, and if that is not the most fucking illegal goddamn thing, sure. then, then I went and found another medical professional to put a four inch needle in my spine 
inject a drug into my spinal cavity to paralyze me while I was in a full sprint. <laughs> because that's what the fuck I'm up to now, Andy. I, I might not have that much longer to wow. get away with this. You know, it might not be much longer before it gets creepy to watch me do this, but dude, yeah. I'm racing to the I'm going to the finish line. And I'm not fucking around, dude. It is a love story. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And w- 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 while we have your audience, I really, really want to let everybody know that my my story is, uh, you know, as you kind of can, can get the gist, it, it, it's been, I lived my life for the purpose of it being notable and, yeah. and, and memorable and, and entertaining. And, um, you know, I, I have a memoir, which is, I mean, the, the, the five-star rating on Amazon indicates that it's a goddamn good book. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, it really isn't. And it's an unlikely, uh, inspiring story of redemption and recovery. Yeah. Cause I just, I just celebrated 14 years of continuous sobriety, which congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, every single copy of my memoir, which is called Steve-O Professional Idiot, mm-hmm. which I sell at my website, which is stevo.com, is signed by hand with oh, my Stevo signature, which looks just like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Stevo, so much, it, so much branding. <laughs> yeah, Incredible. it's great. And I just finished my second book, which comes out in September. That one's called A Hard Kick in the Nuts. What I've learned from a lifetime of terrible decisions, uh-huh. and that and that was a little bit of a pivot because what it started out as was, uh, you know, uh, like Steve-O's guide to middle age. Right, right. It's because because my confronting middle age is so fucking terrifying, as I explained. I can imagine. But I didn't, didn't want to alienate people who aren't necessarily personally concerned with middle age. Right. So I just made it more of a book of general wisdom, which I've gleaned from a lifetime of terrible decisions. Terrible decisions. Now I want to ask like, because you know, we talk about you, it's a privileged upbringing. Most people with privileged (laughs) upbringings do not have this kind of, I mean, well, well, there's certainly, there's certainly people from privileged upbringings that have a self-destructive drive but then they don't maintain it so that it is like self-destructive, but then, you know, ongoing, you know, like that where it becomes basically a cottage industry, uh, you know, of self-destruction. And I wonder what is it about, what is it that may, why do you think you do this? I mean, you have um, to have asked yourself that. And I mean, and I imagine you've been in therapy to sort of ask those kind of questions. I, I have, and I've got, uh, I've got my own theory about this, Andy, yeah. and and it might be more, uh, I like uh, here's my my take on it. Um, number one, uh, I spoke my first words in Portuguese because I was raised by live-in mates. Yeah, mm-hmm. dad, dad being the president of Pepsi Cola in Brazil. I mean, he was popping off, you know, yeah. mom and dad, mom and dad were partying. And so you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to maybe think that lack of attention from my parents sort of made me crave attention. Yeah. And made, and that could be why I'm such a rabid attention whore. Um, now, on a bigger level, and this is something that 
that my like they, that there will be a follow up to my bucket list tour, mm-hmm. and that one's called uh, and it's going to be called Steve O's Gone Too Far Tour. Mm-hmm. And and holy shit, am I going to go too far? And that one will really get into the the physical implications of uh, of my age, but the thing. And, and, and I, I bring in what, what, what my vision is for the next tour because I had a bit, I have a bit on my, like as, as a, a comedian, mm-hmm. it's really, it's really a challenging bit, but I won't let go of it. And it really drives at the, the inspiration for like what's behind what I do. And the bit, the premise for the bit is I just, I, I sit, I say, I have a theory that, God hates us, human beings specifically, because as I understand it, human beings are the only living organism which can hypothetically contemplate their mortality Mm -hmm. outside of the actual present moment. Yeah. You know, we're the only ones and that and and now add to that that we only have one instinct which is to survive mm-hmm. and and yet we only have one guarantee which is we won't yeah. survive yeah yeah so so it's like i mean right there that to me is just a, a blatant catch 22 fucking cruel prank on us like mm-hmm. we're sitting here thinking like we're like we have to deal with the fact that we know down the line in a hypothetical sense we are barreling towards the one fucking thing that our whole makeup cries out against like we're playing a game that we're going to lose and we know that yeah and so so i view the human experience as sort of a prank on us but but really, from a, for practical purposes, I view the human experience as an exercise in wrapping our heads around our mortality. Yeah. And I've identified three ways that people do that. One is to procreate because they feel like that's why they call them the family jewels. You know, you want to keep your legacy going. Yeah. So like, it's OK, I'm going to be dead because I've got my lineage carrying on. But that's not for me, dude. I got a fucking vasectomy and I filmed it for my bucket list show. I called it the vasectomy Olympics, <laughs> you know, like, and it's the most hilarious bit. And it actually makes dudes pass out sometimes. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. But so, so I didn't ever want to have kids. Kids isn't for me. The second way people wrap their heads around their mortality is to is religion. You know, like every religion, as I get it, is I, I understand it. It's the religion is promised you that it's okay that you're going to die because you're going to go to heaven and everything is going to be great. But it all feels kind of transactional and self-serving and a little silly. Yeah, and me, also made know? up. And also, yeah. also like <laughs> transparently made up. Yeah. Right, right. Like, I, I just can't, I could never really grasp onto that. And then the third bucket, which is the one I fall into, is, uh, you know, like the legacy bucket. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the earliest cavemen, you know, they scrawled stick figures on cave walls because they were shit scared that they were going to die. They hated the fact that they were mortal. And they wanted to leave these drawings on the cave walls because those drawings would outlive them. You know, uh-huh. like that's me, man. Like I, when I took to the video camera as a young skateboarder, 
Like I was, I was like really blown away by the fact that a, I could edit out the failures and just assemble just the the successes, right, and right. Sort of ma- manipulate how I was, you know, seen. Sure, sure. And- Increase your batting average to a thousand. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And on top of that, that with the whole mortality complex going on, that that these videos won't die. You mm-hmm. know, like that. This fucking this shit's gonna live forever. So, so I, I you know, I, I was final disciplinary probation with within two weeks of class starting. And I, and I was kicked out of the dorms in short order after failing and dropping out to boot. Yeah. So I felt that I lacked the survival skills to make it in the real world. I, I was convinced that I was going to die young having failed at life. And I wanted to hurry up and, and film as much crazy ass shit as I possibly could so that that would be my legacy. You know, I yeah. really like, like my religion, my legacy, my like purpose was to, to, to make myself immortal by document. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, it was important what I was doing when I was lighting myself on fire at a backyard keg party, because that footage would play and, and, entertain people have an effect on people like beyond my years so fuck fuck death i'm you know i'm gonna live forever because of this yeah but but what shocked my system was that when jackass came out all of a sudden like i moved out to california as quick as i could to sort of seize this opportunity and ride the wave and i i heard so many people tell me hurry up and strike while the iron's hot because invariably your show is going to get canceled and then you're going to be old news. And, and then like her, and I remember just being frustrated by that. Like, ah, you know, like, fuck you. I'll, I'll make the iron hot. I'll fucking make the iron hot and fucking everyone else can strike it. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. But, but there was really something to that. And what I learned is, is, uh, was scary and depressing is that footage I, what I view, I viewed video footage as eternal, as immortal. But once I got actually in the mix of, you know, of basic cable television, mm-hmm. I, le- I, I learned that not only is video footage not immortal, but it has a very distinct expiry date, which is precisely the date when it airs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as it's come out, it has expired. It has gone rotten and it is no longer of any use to you and now everyone's question is what's next what's yeah. you're only as good as your last thing so then like what i what i thought i was chasing i was gonna like ensure my immortality all all that ended up happening was that i i came to find that the spotlight is so fleeting and that it, that that my life was now like the spotlight's moving and i'm chasing it trying to stay in it you know, and uh, that's where it gets so scary and, and anxiety inducing and dark and depressing. Like fame is really not a healthy fucking no dynamic. You it know, is. it's not it, it's not a healthy dynamic. And thank God I, I, I fell apart and flamed out with drugs and alcohol because were it not for a spiritual practice and 12 step recovery, which has allowed me to find some separation between Steve-O, the character, and then me and what's important to me as a person. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be fucked. Because, like, to, to identify as Steve-O would be a dark fucking road. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely, yeah. 
<laughs> well, but yeah, that's I what think... that's what that 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 was my way to answer. That's why I do what I do. Yeah, yeah. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? What do you see happening, like, in 10 years for you? I'll tell you exactly. I mean, uh, before we started recording the show, um, I I let you in on the fact that I had a very late last, a very late night last night, uh, putting a tattoo on a guy from Italy. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I got, I got into tattooing just as, as a, 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 Gag kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, a group yeah. like I mean, it like I, I became active with the YouTube channel. Actually, at this point, I upload videos weekly to four different YouTube channels. I've got my main YouTube channel, um, which is like kind of jackassy, like sort of more marquee content. Mm-hmm. I've, then I've got my Wild Ride podcast. Mm-hmm. Then I've then I've got my Wild Ride Podcast Clips channel, and then I've got my Stevo in Spanish language channel with the voice <laughs> actors, which which is a hoot. And I can't wait to add more, more and more. But for a video, I, I thought like I'm always thinking about creating content. And I thought for a video, let me make a, uh, you know, let me make a YouTube video dedicated to giving people tattoos which I had done. People would present me with a tattoo machine and I would maybe put my name on them, whatever. And it would be all half-assed, but I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I tried as hard as I possibly could to do the best job I possibly could and challenge myself. And I made this video where like, I was like, hold on a second, dude. Like this is way better of tattoos than anybody would expect Steve to do. So I did more videos of that. And then like, now I've got to tell you, there's the most inexplicable demand for a shitty tattoo from steve-o that that <laughs> <laughs> I mean i'm telling you it's ridiculous so i so i had this contest with the members of my subscription page which is yeah. uncensored you know i've got this uncensored page where i have no rules that like i'm not getting in trouble for showing my wiener you know right, like right and, and and every member of the of the page, I I said, hey, I'm gonna have a contest. If you guys all, if anybody wants a tattoo for me, submit your designs, and and I'll pick the one I like the best. The guy who submitted the tattoo design I like the best happens to be from Italy, so he won. I said, I'll fly you and a guest out. So I flew these two Italian dudes to join me on my tour bus on my tour, and I gave him his design of Satan, uh, a satanic Satan chef with a pentagram pizza. It was a hoot. And I was up all night doing that. <laughs> yeah, but you flew him to Salt Lake City. 
you know. Well, I flew, him, I, flew, I flew him to L.A. Oh, all right, and then, all right. And, and then rode him on the tour bus cross country <laughs> to have the experience to be a VIP at my shows. Oh, nice. And then and then, and then flew him home from flying, flying him home from Salt Lake City actually tomorrow, yeah. making the visit a little bit long and on and awkward. But <laughs> 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 right, but it's all good. The, the, the kid's great. And I and I, the reason I mentioned the tattooing is because I do view it as a safety net. Where, you know, like in the worst case scenario, I have a career as a tattoo artist, really? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, like, I, I don't think I would ever want to or hopefully ever need to. But right. I have that. I have that as a potential way out of the attention whore game. You know, I could I could I could. I, I could, I don't have to do any scan and all these shit. If, right, if, right. You know, but, but I've got way more, way more uh, avenues that I'm building for. That's what 10 years from now looks like is, uh, you know, everything that I'm setting up for myself now, which represents a way out of the fucking attention horror game. Big time in that is my merchandising operation. I've got two brands of Steve-O hot sauce. When the slides go out on my tour bus, you can see Steve-O's hot sauce for your butthole. And <laughs> and my newer brand, Steve-O's butthole destroyer hot sauce. <laughs> and and I'm not, and my you know my hot sauce business is thriving, man. Like, oh, that's great. like when I when I promote it, when I promote it, it shoots to number one hot sauce on Amazon. We like, um, I mean, I don't want to like brag about like, you know, money come in, but I'm very happy with what we're doing with, um, with hot sauce. And, uh, I sell so much shit. Like I'm the Gene Simmons of Jackass, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, a steve coffin. Is that in the works? Yeah. I don't have a steve coffin, but I've got like obnoxious Bluetooth speakers that are the loudest Bluetooth boom boxes in the uh -huh. world. Like I've got, I've got all the skateboard sunglasses, like, like I still signed dick pics on tour, <laughs> but, but what's important about that is that uh, I, I got to a point of shipping, you know, like of my online merchandising operation reached a level where it became frustrating to me that uh, I was sort of lost in the mix of this third party fulfillment center. You yeah, know, this I, like I, I was I was a client of aware, and I, I got to a point where I was like, dude, you know what? Screw it. I got my own warehouse. Yeah, got my own where I got my own warehouse. Got my own warehouse staff, and and so I've got my own fulfillment company. Yeah. You know, like I had, and 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 I love to name my companies. My fulfillment center is called Tight Box Packing. <laughs> and and and, uh, and it's 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 thriving it's thriving to the point that i've added a second warehouse both wow. warehouses are both warehouses are chock full and the, you know in the spirit of trying to set myself up to not have to be an attention whore i've already um developed my fulfillment business to take on third-party clients. That's so, what I was just going to ask. Because, yeah, you, yeah. Have, you got the infrastructure. You might as well for do sure. the same merchandising for other people. Right. I'm already fulfilling orders for certain orders for Tony Hawk, uh -huh. for 
Dick House, the production company behind Jackass, for you know multiple other Jackass cast members. And, right. And, uh, for Oprah. And, and I, you got to get Oprah in there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And and there's, I mean, it, it, I'm still. It, with the fulfillment business, I'm at a kind of a, a level where the profit margins on my Stevo merch are like so, like so. It's so lucrative to sell my own merch that selling other people's merch really, like you know, I would have to level up to, uh, you know, the, the the profitability per square foot of my warehouses. For my merch compared to the third party stuff, yeah, yeah, it, it, like the, the disparity is pretty off the chart. I see, I see, but, yeah. But with that said, like, uh, it, it, you know, it, it could really be a volume game, and uh, it could be an absolute retirement party for me if, right. uh, it, you know, if I level that up. And so that's one thing where I'm very, very sensitive to being in front of the camera when it's just a bummer to look at me. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I've, I've considered those 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 options too. <laughs> now I want to ask: Are your folks still alive? Are your parents still alive? Not my mom, but my dad. And what does he feel about his son becoming a businessman? He loves it. He does, loves yeah, it so I imagine much. like and it's been got to been quite a journey to go through. Yeah, setting yeah, your head and, on fire and now talking about right. the profitability of the product in your various warehouses. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for asking that too, man. Like when I, when I dropped out of college, I, um, you know, my dad raised me with, you know, like with, with a level of pride such that even though I had a very privileged upbringing, you know, dad was, was a wealthy man. Um, when I dropped out of the university of Miami, when I left, um, I, like, I, I didn't ask him for any handouts. I um, didn't even tell him where I was, man. Like I, yeah. like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the heart to. Uh, I didn't have any good news to report. Yeah, and uh, you know, I wasn't doing anything that would that he would have been proud of, or or like you know, it would have, like if I called him, it would have been a bummer. And and the sad thing is that uh, I didn't call him. He didn't even know where I was for like six months. Yeah, and and the truth of where I was, I was in a fucking laboratory having the government test drugs on me for money mm. and the way that these medical studies go like the fda approval anything that comes into contact with the human body requires fda approval and 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 you know rigorous testing and um the more dangerous the medical study the more money they pay you mm-hmm. so, I, so i so i signed up to have drugs for pigs and cows tested on me <laughs> <laughs> i swear yeah, sure why not and, yeah, the drug was called ractopamine hydrochloride. This happened in uh, January of 1994. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the, it, it paid, I, I, I was paid $2,000. Well, while I was homeless, man, you know, I, I actually did not have a, a, a home. I, I was a couch surfer. Mm-hmm. I would say I, I would say homeless, but I was a little more charismatic than that. Yeah. I was a, <laughs> I was a couch surfer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you, uh, were, I you were unhoused but charming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, I I had like I, I'd make it a couple of days before people would, or you know, it's kind of uh, <laughs> encourage me to find another place to go. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that went on for three years. 
and um and and uh they, the the drugs for pigs and cows thing was hilarious they they uh they knew that it was going to raise our heart rates the, the 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 purpose of the drug was to appeal to a more health conscious consumer they wanted to give this drug to pigs and cows because it would cause the pigs and cows to have uh less fat and more muscle to, mm. to, to produce leaner meat sure. for the more health conscious consumer. But by the virtue of the fact that that health conscious consumer would be ingesting a trace of this drug because it was in the meat, yeah. then that meant that the FDA had to run a test to determine how much the human body could withstand of this shit, as I yeah. understood it. Yeah, so, yeah. so the purpose of the medical study was to pump a group of human subjects full of rack dopamine hydrochloride until one of the subjects uh, had a resting heart rate of 150 beats per minute, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And, and, and at that time, <laughs> you know, I, I had dropped out of the University of Miami. I, dro- I, I, I left the University of Miami like Thanksgiving weekend of, yeah. uh, of, of 1993. And, uh, and on my way out of the University of Miami, people were like, wow, you really blew it now, dude. Kicked out of the dorms, you were failing, and now you're dropping out? Like, what's your plan? And I told everybody at that time, I said, I'm going to become a crazy famous stuntman with a home video camera. I'm going to home videotape the fucking such crazy ass shit that it's going to, I'm going to be famous. And dude, every person I, I explained this plan to felt fucking sorry for me. Like they were were like, dude, what a tragedy. What a fuck, what a loser. And, uh, you know, dude, it's just it's nuts how it turned out. But I didn't talk to my dad for for six months. I'm having the government test drugs on me. I'm homeless, and uh, and then you know there was fairly limited communication with my dad. Period, because we weren't really vibing on the same wavelengths. Yeah, and and, uh, and dad was not dad was not fucking feeling that I'm going to be a stuntman thing. Like his approach to that was to go to, uh, he went to the library back when they had libraries in the nineties. Like, uh, it was 1995. They didn't have, the, they didn't even have the goddamn internet yet. Right. Right. You know, 1995, my dad was in the physical library doing research on uh, CGI back then. He said, he said, son, uh, I have done my research here and, and, uh, computer graphics, computer animation, digital is going to make the career of stuntmen obsolete. And I was like, unfazed. I was like, oh, dad, but I'm going to be gnarly, <laughs> you know, but I, but I'm going to be gnarly. And I, and yeah, he, yeah. So he, he was beating his head against the wall, trying to convince me not to do the stuntman thing. Then next thing you know, I'm going to fucking clown college. Like he wasn't feeling that for a, even a little bit. Yeah. But then, and I went to clown college in 1997 and uh, I was living with my sister by that point. And um, it was after I graduated from clown college, after I had been featured in, you know, like a, a couple issues of big brother magazines, mm-hmm. there was the first, the, there was the first article there's a little sidebar article called the burning boy festival. (laughs) Yeah. Like my prediction had become true. I I, 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 I got the article I was looking for. And then, um, 
you know, I was in Big Brother a couple of times. I had graduated clown college, but not gotten a contract with the circus. And I basically had not made a fucking dime from yeah. from my, you know, and, and that's so special to me because in 1998, specifically in October of 1998, my dad and I were, were together um, and and he initiated a conversation himself. He said, I have to tell you, I think I, I believe I've done a disservice to you by not supporting you in this career path that you've that, you, that you've clearly committed yourself to. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, you know, I think I've done a disservice to you. He says, he says, you, you didn't go the you didn't go down the path that I would have chosen for you, you know, but I, I can tell that you're committed to it. And just like my dad didn't, you know, my dad was the black sheep of his family for going into business mm. because because everyone in my dad's family was PhD, like yeah. clergy clergymen, zoologists, yeah. theologians, like yeah. you know, yeah. highly highly academic. And yeah. it was it was not fucking cool to go be a capitalistic greedy businessman, right? You know, selling and soda said, and cigarettes. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And and so so my my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather had the same he said, Dad related this to me. He said, My 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 dad did like wouldn't have chosen for me what I did, but he said this to me. He says, Now I'm saying it to you, son. Like yeah. I've done it, I've done a disservice by not supporting you. And I want you to know that uh, I just want you to be the you're committed and I just want you to be the best at, at what, what you've and, and and I and and I, and I, I've got your back. I pledge to support you. And I hadn't made any fucking money. I hadn't done shit. And yeah. where I went from where I went from that conversation with my dad, you know, I, again, video cameras were not a household item. There was what there was enough video. There was enough home video footage being produced to support America's funniest home videos. But then there was a second show which was less comedy driven. It was it was called Real TV. Mm-hmm. You know, video cameras were becoming more prevalent. And uh, after that conversation with my dad, when I saw the uh, the commercial for real TV saying, if you have any home video footage that you think we should see, then call us and let us know. And I called that number and I said, oh, I don't have footage you might want to see. I have footage. <laughs> You know, I have footage I you guys. Yeah, I, I have footage you need badly. Yeah, you know, and and I, and I put together all my footage. I sent it to them, and they called me back and they said we're interested in the footage of you on the roof of the three-story building, lighting yourself on fire and doing the simultaneous fire-breathing front flip off the roof of the three-story building into the five-foot-deep pool. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, is that out of everything I sent? That's all you want? Like that's it, and they and they and they were like, yeah, that that's what we want. We also want you doing it up the same building in the day, so we can show the daytime and then the night with the fire. And we want to give you, we want exclusive rights to this uh, to these clips, and we'll pay you five hundred dollars for ex- exclusive rights. I'd never heard the word exclusive like maybe ever. Definitely right, not in that. Right. Definitely, you don't know what that means. Definitely not in that context. And I said, well, what does exclusive mean? They, and they said, well, that means that we would then own the footage and only we own it. I'm like, so I can't do anything with it ever again. And they were like, that's correct. So my next call was to my dad. I said, dad, ah, and I'm all like, dad, they want to get this exclusive and they want and I'm to be on TV. But I fucking, and dad says, 
Steve, calm down. This is real simple. He says, ask yourself at which point is it a deal breaker? Draw a line in the sand. He says, it sounds like exclusivity is a deal breaker for you. So why don't you call them back and say you will not do the exclusivity, but you'll give them a non-exclusive right to play it and tell them that it's got to be a thousand. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I called them back and I got, I got precisely that. Yeah. So dad, dad was uh, the mastermind behind my very first ever contract. And yeah. dad was, dad was in my corner ever since. That's and, great. and, and it, it makes me emotional, like to the point of like goosebumps and like, I can like imagine. To, to be able to say that I don't have a great relationship with my dad because I'm successful, but rather I'm successful because I have a great relationship with my dad. Oh, that's and that wonderful. distinction, that distinction is fucking huge. That's great. And, and I love it. Yeah. Thank that's you. That's great. Well, thank you so much. You spent so much time with me. Thank you so much. I, you know, to wrap it up, I just want to know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, the end question here is always like, what do you want people to take away? Well, like what lesson do you want people to learn from the Steve-O story? I mean, I don't know. In the beginning, it, it like I, I just wanted to be remembered. Yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted to to like. Uh, yeah, I was an attention whore, and I wanted to get more attention. I wanted to keep getting attention after I died. That was my whole thing. Was like, dude, like, what, like, why do you do what you do? And I was like, I, you know, I do what I do because I don't like work, and I don't like school, and and I want to be remembered forever. You know, like I want to, and um. And then like over the years, like the, you know, I've sort of become uh, scared of, and not scared of, but, but uh, nervous around like the implications of the spotlight and um, where I never, like, I, like I, I never cared about money. I only wanted the attention. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, once I got clean and sober in 2008, I, I started thinking, oh shit. I always figured I was going to be dead, like young, like sort of burn out, live fast, die young, drugs and alcohol and crazy. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, 2008, I changed my lifestyle such that I was no longer smoking, drinking, doing drugs. I was like kind of being a little bit mindful about what I ate. I was taking care of myself. Yeah. And it, it, I had this terrorizing notion that I might like not die young and I actually might be only like halfway through my life staring down the barrel of like many more decades that I'm going to have to feed myself. Mm-hmm. Like what the fuck, you know? Yeah. And that was, that was when I uh, really like, you know, that was like from that point on, like I, I, I want, it was less about, about like, eyeballs and attention and more about like, let me like literally think about my future and what it's going to look like and not have it be dark and depressing. And, uh, you know, the, the life of a touring stand-up comic on the comedy club circuit is a fucking bit. Like, I mean, I know that it sounds ungrateful to be like, I'm a headliner in a comedy club and I've got special engagements and I get paid mm-hmm. really well. But, but despite that, you know, it's, Groundhog's Day, airport, hotel. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like it's a miserable fucking existence. And, and I, 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 I yeah. On, we went on the Conan. You know, in between the 
Tonight Show and TBS. We went on a tour for about three months, and that was all I could. T- I was like, if I did this, I would be addicted to every fucking substance, and I'd be three hundred and fifty pounds, like just because. It would just and and there was there was like a day where there was like a rush 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 to get from one matinee show to like rush 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 to get to our next hotel and it's all this activity and all this push and then I get to the hotel and I almost cried because that's like this is what I was rushing to this empty fucking hotel room like right. you know and I and I yeah. did that for I did that for eleven years wow and and, uh, and and I did it relentlessly and I just I just. Uh, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to bullshit you and say, oh, this was my passion. This was my dream. Like I was trying to sock away as much fucking money that I possibly could and doing it every week of every year that I possibly could so that 10 years down the road, I wouldn't be in some shitty situation thinking, fuck, why didn't I yeah. earn all that money when I could? Yeah, you know, yeah. I did. I, I did it for the money, but yeah. But the, the the happy unintended consequence was that I really developed a craft, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, because I don't do anything half ass, man. I pour myself into everything that I do. And, and every show that I did, I, I did the best fucking show I could. It, it evolved and it, it, it grew, it improved, it progressed. And then now I've graduated from comedy clubs to theaters, man. And like the, a normal night for me is like, at like six shows in a comedy club packed into one fucking theater every night. And I don't have to check in and out of hotels. I don't have to fly on fucking airports. Yeah. I live on a, I live on a tour bus, which I love. And I got my editor with me. I got my fucking assistant, my merch guy. And, and we're all this happy family just running around making crazy videos and flying assholes in from Italy to, make my, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, the, the Italy guys will fly home tomorrow. And then the next day, uh, our new jackass cast member poopies will fly in. Uh-huh. And so that's where that's where it's keeping life fresh instead of it being a groundhog day is that I can just fly in people to uh, make every day a new day. Yeah. So is it about adapting? Is it about just sort of honoring your basic skills and then adapting and finding different ways to... I mean, okay. If, if we're if we're looking for advice that I have for people, because people will ask me for advice, and and whether it's like, hey, I want to become a stuntman, or hey, I want to get into comedy, or like anything. Yeah. But, or you know, hey, I like I like dysentery. How can I make money <laughs> off of getting you know hepatitis? Right. Yeah. Right. Um. I, you know, like whatever it is, I just I I would say very clearly that the meaning of life is to get off your ass and pick one, you know, like, like the life is the meaning of life is it's clearly that the purpose is to bring, to give meaning to your life. You are in charge. It like, it, it, it like you are in charge of giving meaning to your life of finding yeah. meaning for your life. You know, you cannot ever hit a bullseye unless you start by aiming at a target. You know, so without without identifying a goal, you are never going to accomplish a goal. And I think that that's largely like most people like the biggest problem, I think, for most people is that they have not identified something about which they are passionate. They have Mm -hmm. not they they have not identified a goal. And if you if you don't identify a goal, then you're never going to achieve a goal. So it starts with. It starts with asking yourself, what do you want your life to mean? What do you want to do? And all of those people who are asking me for advice about 
about how to accomplish something, they're ahead of 90% of the fucking world because they've actually got an idea of what they want to accomplish. The fact that they've asked for advice, the fact that they've even asked me for this advice is indicative of the fact that they're ahead of everybody else. And then my advice that I give them, regardless about what it is they're asking, is that, you know, whatever you want to do, start doing it. Yeah. With with one caveat that that you be mindful about about uh, getting direction or because let's say, you know, it's very possible to let's say you want to be a juggler. You know, Mm -hmm. It, it would be a really good idea to have somebody who knows how to juggle help you so that you're not learning bad habits mm-hmm. with the one caveat be be, be mindful about learning the, the right way because you don't want to go in the wrong fucking direction and have to unlearn yeah like the wrong shit but with yeah. that cab with that caveat make sure you're not going in the wrong direction figure out what the right direction is towards getting good at your goal and start down that fucking path don't waste any time don't yeah, yeah. wait don't wait for an opportunity to arise. Don't wait to be picked. Don't wait, but don't procrastinate. Just fucking start doing it. And then I'd say, you know, with that in mind too, that it does not, it does not matter what you want. Like really what matters is how fucking bad you want it. Because yeah. as, as helpful as talent is, talent's, talent's great. Talent's a real helpful thing to have and intelligence it will give you an advantage mm-hmm. but but those two things cannot fucking touch enthusiasm yeah all of the talent in the world all of the intelligence in the world without enthusiasm is bullshit yeah you know and, and i say that I, this is really fucking special to me because i've said that so many times like, uh, you know, talent, intelligence, great. Enthusiasm is where it's at. And uh, somebody um, in, in, uh, in, in one of my uh, spiritual, you know, like uh, men's groups, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody, somebody brought up the word enthusiasm and they said that the Latin root for the word enthusiasm is entheos, which means with god Mm. and i just and i just got goosebumps under my fucking hoodie (laughs) (laughs) you know so like they they said the key to life the the most important ingredient in life is enthusiasm and who knew and who knew that you're on the fucking path of god when you're fired up and fucking enthusiastic about something so find what you're enthusiastic about make that your purpose make that the meaning that you're going to bring to your life and fucking hurry up and get off your ass and do it now thank you steve-o for being here thank you so much thank you for taking us into your world uh there's something i have to say uh you that being you the listener can watch jackass forever on paramount plus starting today and buy it on digital starting march 29th with nearly 40 minutes of exclusive stunt footage i'll be there watching that uh and it's 40 minutes of exclusive stunt footage not seen in theaters so check that out and steve again thank you so much man this is really really a fun talk and i'm such a fan and it's such a thrill to get to meet you and see you and uh after we're off i'm going to give you my phone number so i can see some of those tats yeah i love it dude i absolutely love it 
thank you so much. And, and uh, thank you for not making me feel like a douche for not shutting up once. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it, it's easy. Anytime <laughs> I was raised in, in, a, in with, the, with this philosophy that work is always to be avoided. And in this, in this venue, <laughs> me talking is work. So you were doing all the work and I, you know, right. I'm getting well, the same check either way. My, my enthusiasm is for communication and yeah. uh, I, I, I do it with, uh, with, with, with real, with real passion. I communicate. And well, I think, and for years, yeah. you've also, you're very much an open book and that's very, that's a very brave and admirable thing to do. And I mean, I've listened to you on Howard all those years and stuff, and you've always been really, I mean, there's a bravery to being open. I mean, sometimes there's a stupidity to be in that open, but sometimes it's just plain old bravery because so many people are afraid to show themselves and you're not quite frequently. Well, I mean, you show every bit of yourself. So, well, thank you. And, and when you tell the truth, you never have to keep track of what you said. And that's, that's uh, true. That, that's real helpful too. And speaking of open books, everybody go to stevo.com and buy my dickograft memoir steve-o professional idiot and dude thank you so much andy it's been thank a real you, pleasure steve. and thank all of you out there for listening and we will be back next week with more three questions i've got a big big love the Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been a Team Coco production. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.